The following message was preached at Redeemer Community Church. For more information about Redeemer, visit us online at www.redeemernc.org. Today's scripture reading comes from 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6. Therefore, since we have this ministry because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. Instead, we have renounced secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully or distorting the word of God, but commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of the truth. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Well, we have spoken to God in song and in prayer. Maybe it's time that we listen to God from his word this morning. I, uh, I pray that as I come to preach God's Word and preach Christ from the Scriptures for us, that it would be an encouragement to you as it much was for us when I preached this passage some uh, couple of years ago back in Scotland. The reason we were uh, wrestling through this was what I already just started to explain somewhat there about the state of the church in Scotland. But just to give you kind of a, a honing in or a little bit more clarity on our county there. The Kingdom of Five is half a million people in total. Uh, in there, we have 14 Baptist churches, seven of which are vacant and empty at this moment. There are 17 churches in our whole area, but in that, the Church of Scotland, the Presbyterian Church of Scotland, they have decided in recent weeks there just to consolidate all of those churches down to just one church on a, on a rapid scale down of ministry. They're trying to amalgamate and consolidate ministry to one church. And that one church is more than likely the, the church where the new minister was installed six months ago. Him and his husband there in that ministry. And so that gives you a glimpse into the state of where we are doing ministry. Got on the screen here, 120 churches are closing every year. That's probably increasing from two years ago when I got these statistics. But 1,800 churches closed in the last 15 to 20 years. The, the scale of the issue is vast. I was thinking about the state of the church here, just watching and observing and listening in the last few days here in the South, in North Carolina. You know, brothers and sisters, maybe the Lord will use this this morning as a, a cautionary tale for you as secularism blows west um, and you experience some of what we have been experiencing. But in the wrestling, we came to settle on this passage in 2 Corinthians 4, because what Paul is doing here is he's given almost a, a philosophy of his evangelism in his ministry. And it's good for us to wrestle through that as we think about our own contexts and our own cultures around us. So why don't we turn there together 
and see what God might have to say for us in this passage. First of all, what we see is that God is sovereign in salvation. Let's look at that. Paul says here in verse 1, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. This ministry, Paul unpacked in chapter 3, a ministry of glory, a ministry of uh, unveiling the glory of God in the gospel. This ministry is evangelism. And it is the mercy of God that we are able to be proclaimers of the gospel. It's only by God's mercy that we have something to say in the first place. Amen? Amen. Well, this is what Paul was saying. But he says here at the end of verse 1, we do not lose heart. Friends, is there been occasions in your Christian walk where you have been disheartened as you share testimony or bear witness to Jesus with friends or family members or your neighbors or colleagues? I know in my own, my own personal life, my, my father has gone from being very antagonistic and hostile to the gospel to just being, uh, in recent days, more open but still far it would seem, from saving faith. Friends, I have lost heart at times. I've become disheartened in moments where I've despaired and wondered if he would ever come to trust. And do you know what the effect has been on me, and perhaps it's the same for you? What do you think of when you think of your disheartenedness? Why is that? Why are you put off in evangelism sometimes? Is it perhaps because you fear that rejection in sharing the gospel. I know for me, I've been rejected many times with my dad, sharing something of my faith with him, and it puts me off. Have you had that where you, you've just felt like, I, I don't know if I'll know the answers to their questions, I don't know if I'll come across in a way that is appealing and winsome for the gospel, and it puts us off, doesn't it? Well, here Paul says, we do not lose heart. Why do we not lose heart? Why does Paul not lose heart? Because he recognizes, first of all, that we have an enemy to the gospel. Friends, look what he says here in verse 4. I'm, I'm going to kind of jump around a little bit if you follow me in these verses. But in verse 4, Paul says this, that in the case of those who do not see the gospel, who do not respond in faith, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Do you see that Paul saying, don't be disheartened. There's an enemy at work who is blinding the minds of the unbelievers, who desperately does not want them to see the glory of Christ in the gospel. In Romania, my wife and I served with our kids for a number of years in Eastern Europe, and we had a campground that we ran up on uh, the hills, just at the kind of the edge of the Transylvanian mountains. Yes, that was the, the land of Vlad the Impaler uh, and Dracula. But uh, on a night uh, after the campfire started to die down, you would look up at the stars, and you get it here, I'm sure, in North Carolina, these incredible starscape skies. Last night we had a full moon, didn't we, for uh, wolf packs. I, I wondered if it would stir the wolves up, but it, it didn't seem to uh, while I was there at the game. But we had incredible night skies. 
And I would look up and I would marvel and I would be chatting to people and saying, look, look at that. It just makes you feel so small and, and God is so big. But you see, come the morning when the, the sun rises, what happens? You look up and the sky is just this beautiful blue, isn't it? And the question is, when you look up at the blue sky, are the stars still there? Of course they are. You just can't see them because the light is refracting through the atmosphere. And you have this blue sky, and it's like that in many ways. Paul's saying, don't be disheartened. The people you're sharing the gospel with who just don't get it, they're looking on and seeing blue sky. And you're saying, do you not see these beautiful stars? It's glorious. And they're saying, I have no idea what you're talking about. Friends, we have to recognize that just like in the Scriptures, throughout the Old Testament, that old refrain, they have eyes to see, but they're never seeing. They have ears to hear, but they're never hearing. This is a spiritual reality for fallen humanity. And so our gospel is veiled to those who are perishing, Paul says in verse 3. And we have to recognize that, and that encourages us. But friends, how do we break through that? That That's the big question, and that's what we've been wrestling with. You see, in verse 6, Paul says this, God who said, let the light shine out of the darkness, He has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It is God who breaks down the barriers. It's God who unveils blind eyes. Everything that Satan doesn't want people to see in verse 4, God unveils and reveals in verse 6. And so the question we began to wrestle with is, well, if God is sovereign in salvation and Satan is at work in blinding and distracting the, the eyes and the hearts of unbelievers, how is he at work in Scotland? And a big thing that we recognize was Satan was at work in the culture around us. I think you maybe have a similar uh, phenomenon here of this sort of pluralism or syncretism or, you know, postmodernism. All the isms are at work in Scotland. But it's true. I might say, can I pray for you? And they say, yeah, whatever, you know, whatever. I'm going to go to yoga and this will help and that will help and the fortune teller will help and all of this stuff works. I'll take it all. And that's a big issue for us is Satan is at work in the culture around us. But Paul writes, and he writes this in 1 Corinthians 2, he writes, when I came to you, brothers, to the same church in Corinth, he says, I didn't come to you proclaiming uh, the testimony of God with lofty speech or, or wisdom, but I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and in power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Do you know what a great encouragement that was for us? We don't need to have lofty speech, clever arguments, sound wisdom that sounds great for these people in Scotland. We need a demonstration of God's Spirit. We need a demonstration of the power of God in the gospel. And so, in that, analyzing the culture, we could see the ways that we were to engage and connect. 
Think about TV, think about entertainment, think about uh, things in culture, how Satan is at work distracting. I, I mentioned this yesterday morning with the men. I, I watched a documentary around that time, and it was uh, uh, from the Iranian church, the underground church, in around 2015. Do you remember ISIS sweeping through their caliphate there, Syria, Iraq, they had Iran? And it was a documentary following the underground church, the exploding church there in such a hostile context. And at the beginning of the documentary, they, they showed you footage of the uh, English-speaking, mostly American missionaries that were there sharing the gospel. And they were taken out, and they were asked to renounce Christ. Do you remember seeing any of that on the news? They were on their orange jumpsuits. And one by one, they, they pro professed faith in Jesus and refused to renounce Him. And they were beheaded and killed. And at that time, in the middle of all of that, this Iranian sister shared her thoughts on the church in the West. And she said it's like they are under some sort of satanic lullaby. It's like Satan has just whispered them and shushed them to sleep. Shh, 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 shh. Just get on with this or that or the next thing. Don't worry about the lost on your doorstep. Don't worry about the hurt and, and the pain and the people around you. You just get on with your career or your family or your sport or entertainment. All these things are good, by the way. But her point was, from what she could see on TV and in the news, the church had lost their love for the lost. And I really looked at that, and it, it, it hit me, and I felt, you know, it's true. For us in Scotland, we were not hurting for the lost. And in many ways, Satan was keeping us at bay while the blind were being blinded all the further. Satan also was at work in distorting the truth of the gospel. Don, Uncle Don, I think uh, he's called. Uncle Don was asking me, what would a 21-year-old ask, uh, say if you talked about Jesus with him? Would he just think Jesus was a good guy? And I said, do you know what a 21-year-old would say in Scotland? He wouldn't have a clue who or what Jesus was, never mind a good guy. He wouldn't have a clue. A 60-year-old would probably say, I'm not interested in the church. The church has caused more harm in this culture and society than good. Not interested. Friends, Satan has distorted the minds of the unbelieving, and he's been at work like that from the beginning. Look in Genesis 2 and 3, you see that in Genesis 3, the fall of humanity. Satan was distorting the truth about God, wasn't he? Jonathan Edwards, a great export from here, he says this, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. Isn't that a good one? Friends, the reality is that is the simple truth of the matter. Not to distort it like Satan would have us, but to state it simply and true. All false religion has this concept of, of reaching up to God, but Christianity is this beautiful reality that God reached down to us, took on flesh, was our substitute, died in our place, and redeemed us. This is the beauty of the gospel. It's that it's not about good people in the Bible that we are meant to copy, but about a God who was good in Christ Jesus on our behalf. And this is what we have 
to share. Friends, God is sovereign in this reality, and that is the encouragement for us. Verse 4 is Satan doesn't want people to see the glory of the gospel. Verse 6 is God illuminates the eyes of the unbelieving to see the glory of Christ Jesus in the gospel. The church in Scotland had forgotten this reality. And I want to encourage you and exhort you this morning to wake up to the reality that we as Christians, disciples, followers of Jesus, we have a responsibility to bear witness outside the church gathering. Because what happened with the church in Scotland, you can ask, what went wrong? Where did it fall so far from 100 years ago being churches overflowing to just now them all closing? They forgot that God was sovereign in salvation and that God used them as means to proclaim the gospel. That's what happened. They began to see church in the gathering like this as the primary means of evangelism. If we just invite people into the church, they'll hear the gospel, they'll get saved, and they'll stay. But that isn't the function of the church. That's the Old Testament function of the gathering. You look, at, you look in the Old Testament, the tabernacle and the temple, God manifested His presence, didn't He, among His people. And they lived in light of the covenant, in light of God's Word. And they were a holy people that the nations looked on and came to see. But in the New Testament, that paradigm shifts. What does Christ Jesus say? He says this, my spirit will now dwell in you and you now are to go and be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, isn't he? Go and make disciples of all nations. We are the primary means of evangelism, not the gathered church. So there's two truths I want to encourage you on this as we... Uh, as we are encouraged about the reality of God's sovereignty. Two practical outworkings. It can be that God's sovereignty and salvation is just some theological thing that Josh and Adam and Tyler and Don, these pastors, they deal with. But the sovereignty of God and salvation is a practical thing for me and you to be encouraged in. Let me encourage you with this. When you believe that God is sovereign in salvation, one, you will rely on God beforehand and during in sharing your testimony and in bearing witness as you share the gospel. Why? Because the power of salvation lies with Him, not with us. Friends, Spurgeon, one of our guys, you might know him. Spurgeon said this, we must first be, in order to be winners of souls, we must first be weepers for souls. Friends, we need to go to God in prayer because the power lies with Him. We don't need to practice first. We need to pray first. Secondly, we will rest in God. We rely on God, but secondly, we can rest in God. The outcome of our efforts depend on Him. The fruit of our efforts are up to Him. Friends, we can rest in that. If you share your faith like I've shared mine with my dad and he responds by, please stop talking, I'm watching the football, then that's fine. God is responsible for that, not me. So maybe this morning as you think about the sovereignty of God and as you think about sharing your faith, maybe you can ask like me so many times, who is adequate for this? Who of us is really adequate for this? 
Well, Paul says just a little later on, and I'm not preaching from it, but in verse 7 he says, but we have this treasure of the gospel in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. Here's a, here's a truth drop for me and for you. We're just jars of clay. We are of the dust, and to the dust we return. But the power, the treasure, that's the gospel. And God has deposited that by Spirit in us. Friends, Paul says this, God chooses what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and what is weak in the world to shame the strong. I'm foolish and I'm weak. But you know what? When people respond in faith as I bear witness and share the gospel, that is all glory to God, isn't it? Amen. Our evangelism encounters, let me end with this, our evangelism encounters should not leave us looking good. It should leave God looking glorious. Amen? I should not stand chatting with someone and they go, you are incredible. I've never heard someone articulate the gospel like that. You should do this more often. They should say, wow, I have never seen God like that. He is glorious. Friends, let's look to what Paul says about this. He says, we should have gospel integrity too. It's not just God's sovereign in salvation, but we should have gospel integrity. Look what he says in verse 2. We have renounced the disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word. But by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Paul's saying here, we don't twist or malign or, or, or change the gospel to be more appealing to people. And we have to start off, first of all, with what is the gospel that Paul was proclaiming? Simply put, you know this, the gospel is good news, amen? It is good news. And you know what? We should be passionate about that. Christians should be, of all people, passionate people. Now, you guys have some incredible restaurants. I've been to Vicious Fishes. It was excellent. I've been to the Mason Jar. It was excellent. If someone said to me, where should I eat in Fuque Varina? And I responded saying, the Mason Jar is all right. Do you think they'll go there? Probably not. If they said, is Vicious Fishes good? And I said, yeah. I ordered and the food came and I wasn't sick. <laughs> I don't think they're going to rush there. Friends, Christians of all people should be the most passionate people. I mean, who are we passionate about? I mean, if you're not passionate about Jesus, you need to stop and ask yourself, do you really know Him? Paul is saying, they are stating the gospel. They are renouncing disgraceful, underhanded ways. They're refusing to practice cunning. They're not tricking people. They are authentic witnesses. And they're sharing something that is good news. In Romans 5, Paul talks about this good news, and he, he gives us two sides of the coin. He says, he says, the federal headship of Adam that Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, death through sin has spread to all because all have sinned. Paul says in Romans 5 that that is the bad news. We all are sinners. And the consequences of sin is death. 
That federal headship works here, by the way. It doesn't work in the UK so well. We don't have a federal head. We've got a queen who just died, and we now have a king, and it's slightly different. But it works here. You know, you, you have a president who is your federal head. And if your president declares war on a nation, whether you like it or not, you as an American citizen are at war with that nation because your federal head said so. Adam declared war on God in rebellion. And all of us in him have become rebels against God. All of us in him are in rebellion. But the good news is this. This is what Paul was sharing. Just a few verses after that in Romans 5, 17, it says, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through one man, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Amen. He says there is a new and better Adam. There's a new and better federal head that when we trust in Jesus and are born again of his spirit, we then become with him united in his body and are at peace with God and at war with Satan. Friends, this is the good news. There's a good quote from Thomas Watson, one of our English Puritans, until sin be bitter, Christ won't be sweet. Isn't that lovely? Until our sin is bitter, Christ is not going to be sweet. And as we share the gospel, we need to break for our own sin. And people need to recognize that too, but that is God's work. So the link between verse 4 of the blinding of eyes and verse 6, the unveiling of eyes, is somehow surprisingly verse 5 tucked away in the middle. You see Satan blinds in verse 4, God unveils in verse 6. But in verse 5, Paul says, what we proclaim is the gospel. Friends, do you realize that you are in that place if you're a brother or sister this morning? You're a proclaimer of the gospel. I'm proclaiming the gospel this morning from the pulpit. That's a unique way of proclaiming the gospel. It's a means of grace to the church. But you can also proclaim the gospel one-to-one, reading the scriptures with someone, conversation, your Bible study, your connect group, your house group, whatever methods it is, you are to proclaim the gospel. But we are to have integrity with that. Renouncing underhanded, disgraceful ways. You guys seem to have this more than we do, but our people have access to YouTube and watch underhanded gospel preachers. They preach a false gospel, this prosperity gospel, this gospel that says all of it is good, God is love, come and feel good and happy, and that's all right and well. And people are falling for it all around the world. But that is not the gospel. That is disgraceful, underhanded ways. God is not just love. He is also just. And sin has consequences. We don't tamper with God's word. I met a lady in the bridge the other day, and she, uh, she came up to me and she said, I've seen you on TV. And I said, Really? And she said, yes, on YouTube. And I thought, okay, yes, our church services maybe. She said, I was watching the service and it was all very interesting. And then you started talking about hell and about, about God punishing us. 
And I turned it off, and I said, I can't watch that any longer. And I said, I'm really sorry to hear that. But I came away feeling like, in a way, I'm encouraged, because that is the gospel. Friends, not just are we to have gospel integrity, we're also to have creativity. What does Paul say here? He says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but, verse 5, not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. What Paul is saying here is that he is a servant for Jesus' sake for those that he proclaims the gospel to. Now, what is he talking about here? I have a strong inclination that what he's talking about is in his first letter to the Corinthian church. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. What does Paul say there? He says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some, and I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. What Paul is saying here uh, about being the servant of all is he's saying we have to be creative. Here are four groups that Paul describes being with and how he interacts with them for the sake of the gospel. For us in Scotland, one thing that we have really been passionate about is, is seeing ourselves as um, ambassadors of Christ in the gospel, going out, not on the street necessarily preaching on a soapbox, not necessarily handing out gospel tracts, but in relationships. The most effective means in sharing the gospel is when you know someone and they know you. But how do we do that? We don't do that by always spending time with our Christian family and friends and church. It necessarily involves knowing and being friends with unbelievers outside the church. And so for us, some of those creative ways are finding ways to rub shoulders with people. You all put fuel in your tanks, your beautiful big V8 uh, truck tanks. If I could afford to run one at home, I would. And everyone would hate me for it, I'm sure. We're all green agenda over there. But when you go to the gas station, find a time and a place where it's the same attendant every time serving you. Why? So you can get to know them. You can ask their name. You can share your name. Over time, you can share your life with them. And perhaps God might give you openings to share your faith and the gospel with them. All of you have beautiful hair, some more hair than others. All of you have beautiful hair. That means you have hairdressers. Go to the same hairdresser, month in, month out. What do you do when you're having your hair cut? You're sitting chatting, that awkward small talk, isn't it? I don't know about you guys, but for us, it's super awkward, the small talk. But that's a great opportunity. They have your captive audience. You have them as a captive audience, and you can share your life and faith with them. A little story for me, I don't think I have a picture on the screen, but a little story for me is um, we have uh, Turkish barbers. That's kind of the big thing for us. Uh, Muslim immigrants that have come in from Turkey and the Middle East, um, 
they're really great people, and I've, been, I've had a heart to reach out to, uh, to the Muslim population in our area for some time. One of the ways I've done that and gotten to know quite a number of them is by going to the Turkish barbers, but not just getting my hair cut. You know what they do? They take a big, I called it a cotton bud. Don corrected me. What does it call it? A Q-tip, you call it. Okay. A big Q-tip. And they dip it in hot wax, and they shove it up your nose and in your ears, and then they rip everything out. I don't think I have a picture up there. I do have a picture of it somewhere. But do you know what? That's being a fool for Christ. That's saying, fine, I'll do it. You can rip my nose hair out, no problem. I don't know what that looks like for you here. I don't know what that looks like for you here. But what it does look like is being creative, finding ways to connect with and rub shoulders. You know, it's hard. It's awkward sometimes. It means putting yourself out there, being vulnerable, being exposed. It means the likelihood is they're going to look at you like you're weird. And you know what? We are weird as Christians. You need to hear that. You guys are a bit like the frogs in the hot water. You know, as it gets hotter and hotter, it doesn't realize it's getting boiled alive. You guys are in such a, what I see anyway from my perspective, lovely, nice culture. It's safe. The football game last night was incredible. There was a little bit of alcohol going on, but almost everyone was just nice and having a good time and friendly. I didn't hear anyone swearing. You guys are in a nice culture, but do you know what? For us, and you guys need to hear this, when, when unbelievers listen to us talk about prayer, talking with an unseen God, and He talks back through His Word, when we talk about God's Spirit coming into us and living in us, these are crazy concepts. They may not be too crazy in this culture, but for us, people look at us and they think, you are mad. And we are, but that's just the way it is. But I, I think, I was thinking about this, perhaps for you guys, you love your football. Why don't you invite, I'm sure you do already, your unbelieving friends and colleagues and neighbors or whatever, come watch the game with us. Maybe don't crunch the gears too much where you say, oh, look, they're bringing out a substitute. My substitute is Jesus. Let me tell you about him. <laughs> Maybe don't do that. But, but you can find creative ways, I'm sure of it. Francis Schaeffer says this. He says, since Christianity is true, then it involves the whole man, including his intellect and his creativity. What does this look like? No non-Christians spend time in places where Christians spend, non-Christians spend time. Here's some conclusions and some cautions as we bring this to a close this morning. Friends, none of us have it all together, that's for sure. We certainly don't in Scotland. Um, we have some lessons that we're learning the hard way. Um, perhaps in that is some, some caution for you all, but there are aspects of these three things, God's sovereignty, uh, gospel integrity and our creativity that we major on and we minor on and sometimes areas that we miss. So what would it look like if we lost sight of God's sovereignty? And maybe you can diagnose your own heart in this this morning. If you lose sight of God's sovereignty, one, you will probably grow weary. You'll be exhausted because you think it all depends on you. You'll have forgotten that the sovereignty of God is not some far-off removed doctrine, but it really is practical 
and helpful for you. Remember, rely on him in prayer. Rest in him for the results. You may also be prone to make effort where you really shouldn't. You might be putting all your resources and your effort and your time in the wrong places, forgetting that God is actually sovereign. He's the one that does the work. What about if we lose sight of our gospel integrity? Well, that is perhaps an easier one to see. We, we begin watering down the message. We begin to see that look of dread on someone's face. I'm sure you've all seen it. That, that click of, oh my goodness, they're going to start sharing about Jesus with me and I really don't want to hear this. And so you instantly change direction slightly and you just skim the bad stuff and just major on the good stuff. Friends, let's not do that. Let's have integrity as we share uh, the gospel. But what about if we lose sight of our creativity? If we lose sight of our creativity and we just do church, if we just do church and we just do us, then I, I think what happens is what's happened in Scotland. Massive barriers get erected. Satan is all too ready to build barriers. Satan is all too happy to keep distance between you all and the world around you. I am sure that Paul, were he here preaching instead of me today, would not be interested in a sign outside saying, we preach Christ crucified, two services on a Sunday morning, come if you're interested. I'm sure he'd be out there, like I should have been perhaps, chatting to people from first thing this morning, sharing the gospel with them. Friends, we, we're called to be creative in it. But remember this as I bring it to a close. What did God say? He said, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, declares the Lord. So why don't we ask that God would move by his spirit among us here, among us in Scotland, and among the nations, that he would bring a harvest for his glory. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you. We recognize and remember our own smallness, our own frailness, our own fickle hearts, how prone we are to wander far from you. And yet, Lord, we love you. Lord, would you ignite in us a passion afresh this morning? Would you flicker that flame of love for you and your glorious gospel? And Lord, as you send us out from here this morning, that we would go out equipped and energized and emboldened to engage friends and family and neighbors and to share what is true and real in our own hearts. Lord, would you do it? And would you do that in the church in Scotland? Would you do that among the nations, even hard, hard places like Iran? That, Lord, you would bring about what you promised you would do, that you would bring about a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, unnumbered, gathering in worship and praise for you, the Lamb that was slain for us. Lord, we love you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Community Church in Fuquay, Verena, North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more sermons, we invite you to visit us online at RedeemerNC.org.